Welcome back, everybody, to the Cave of Solitude, your pop culture and comic book podcast coming to you from the mega city metropolis of Toronto. I am your host, Eric Anthony. We're so happy you joined us again because back like he left his passport in the Cave of Solitude is our new friend of the show and one of our favorite guests that we've had based on critical reviews is Mr. Dave Molyneux. Dave, welcome back to the show. It's so nice to have you again so soon. How have you been? Great, thank you. I'm just so grateful to be back. <laughs> it's so nice to be asked again. I'm not normally asked back to people's houses. <laughs> it's it's because you tell them all that Watchmen sucks. That's why. And they say, <laughs> it Get is, out of yeah. here. <laughs> Have you been doing though? Everything okay on your end? Yeah, good. Just um, keep my head down, keeping it locked down, reading tons, trying to do more more uh, comics guide stuff. The usual, really. Yeah, you keep busy. I, I didn't realize what a following you had on the Marvel's Comic Guide side, because I always followed you on the 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 uh, Westminster. What's the name of it? I just I know it's, it. it's all right. Winchester Meat Cleaver. Winchester Meat Cleaver. I live close to a street called Westminster. That's what I was confusing with. Um, I, I always follow you there, and then when I went to your Marvel Comics Guide Instagram page, I was like, whoa, this guy's a celebrity. He's almost got the blue check mark beside him. <laughs> oh, I don't know about celebrity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what was quite weird though. Today I was talking to someone who said, "Oh, my sister's into into comic stuff." I went, oh, cool. I, she might be. I don't know if she'd be interested, but I've got a an Instagram thing, a, a Marvel one. And he, what's it called? And I told him, and he went, "Yeah, she talks about that." I'm like, That's weird. <laughs> And uh, it turns out a few other people I work with actually follow it as well. And they and I don't know think they you. know it's me. <laughs> wow, that's got to be pretty cool. Yeah, it's strange. But I, I literally just found this out today. So he's going through the list of like people he's friends with, um, and and who follows me. He's going like, yeah, this guy follows you. That guy from IT follows you. <laughs> what? Wow, <laughs> it's so weird. So what? When you started up that page, uh, like, what is your secret to? just the the social media aspect of uh, posting and gaining followers is there some some sort of trick you know that you could share with me because i have the hardest time with it it's it's tough it is genuinely tough trying to get a following on anything now so my last week you mentioned um facebook and i've only recently started trying to create a facebook page which is pretty much the same content but it's just not growing um but in terms of instagram i mean i started it at quite a good time Okay. Which was what? 2012. Um, and it was when the Marvel stuff was starting to pick up and I just did it to play with it. I just did it to, to try and figure out how it works. Um, and I think the key thing with something like Instagram is just to, to adapt, just constantly adapt to it. It's incredibly time consuming, but it's to try also try and find something that no one else is doing. Um, I give them a ton of content. So, like, shamelessly promote yourself, haul yourself out, don't be shy, just go nuts. Um, so, yeah, I think there are a lot of Marvel Instagram pages, and that's great. There are a lot of film-based ones, but they tend to be doing the same stuff. And I focused on the area that I'm most keen and most excited about, and that seemed to just resonate with people. Initially, I was just making fun of a lot of the images. It's quite an English thing, I think, to... I've watched um, films with friends, like we've watched Temple of Doom or something, we've sat there and gone, what a shit film. And we're literally going, that bit is crap, that's ridiculous. And it ends and we're all going, it's great, isn't it? It's great (laughs) film. 
Oh, I was going to say, I like that movie. Don't ruin it for me. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. I love it. I love, yeah, I love the, 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 the Indiana Jones trilogy. There are only three films. There are only three films. <laughs> well, you don't believe in aliens, Dave? <laughs> no, no not, not in that universe. Is that a unity count that as a universe? <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think it can be counted as a universe, yeah, in a way, because it, it followed a, a, a continuity, right? Um, yeah. I think the crystal skull, I mean, is even if, you know, in, in, I don't per- particularly like it, it's my least favorite of the four, but it does have those moments that reference back. And of course the, the relationship, uh, from the first movie, uh, rears its head again. So those little connective pieces, it, it's a nice, at least the ending is a happy ending for the characters that I can, I'm happy about. How many had that, um, unusual tv series which i kind of really want to watch again now the, the young indiana jones stuff that's right yes yes did you um but did you ever read the indiana jones comics i wanted to that was another one i read something about john byrne having a few issues with because i think lucasfilm um were just constantly telling him what he could and couldn't do and in the end he just went like this isn't i can't work like this storm out done um but I wanted to. What are they? The Marvel ones, or no? Dark Horse did some, didn't they? Yeah, I did think, they? I, I think so because they got reprinted in. Uh, I'm pretty sure those mini like Dark Horse Dark Horse Omnibus. I think there was like a reprinting of those with some uh, some other characters. Like I, um, I think Transformers had some GI Joe as well. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna look that up. Yeah, I think I, think I, I completely missed all that. I had one of those uh, those omnibus Indiana Jones, but it was like a small digest style. It wasn't, you know, your typical Marvel DC uh, version. But um, I couldn't, maybe just at the time, I couldn't get into it. I was hoping for something more. Maybe I'd enjoy it more now. But, you know, sometimes you, you read something just at the wrong time or it just doesn't hit you. Yeah. Right. So I kind of put it back on the shelf and didn't give it too much attention. But... I don't know. I, I think you when you uh, sometimes when you go on like those movie um, binges and you kind of inhabit a certain universe, you want to just keep it going. So you look for any other media that relates to it in a way. Yeah, yeah. I love Indian. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. I've, I've done much the same with. I got into Critical Role, and I'm so addicted. Um, I don't know if you know what that is, but oh, it's, no, it's basically I've never played Dungeons and Dragons in my life. Okay, and it's just. Actors, voice actors playing Dungeons and Dragons, but I read the comics and I loved them. And then I started watching this thing for only from the Mighty Nine series, which is about two hundred and something episodes in. They're about three to four hours an episode, so it's quite a commitment. Wow! <laughs> but um, I just it's I've really gotten into it. So all of a sudden now I'm getting all these suggestions for Dungeons and Dragons stuff. I'm going, I don't play. <laughs> I'm interested. I'm intrigued by it, but I don't play. Like I can understand now why a lot of um, writers and other creatives are so good at what they do, because to be able to, you're, you're essentially live storytelling. Yeah. I just find that fascinating. Yeah. No, it's, it's true. I, I've talked to a couple of uh, comic book creators here. I know um, Jim Zub is big into Dungeons and Dragons growing up. And uh, one of a comic book writer, as well as a, a, um, terrestrial radio host it sounds weird saying that but like real radio uh dj uh, his name's fred kennedy 
he's uh he he's also a big Dungeons and Dragons guy growing up. So I I was always interested in and and of course the George Martin, right? That famously he was yeah. very heavy into Dungeons and Dragons, which of course is clear it informs his work, but you're right. It's that necessity to create on the fly as things are happening in a game that I think it's a muscle. You you exercise a muscle that helps you to pull ideas from places because they're there, right? It's just a matter of you knowing how to um, facilitate them, I think. Yeah. It, it's, it's kind of as a, as a muscle. It's almost like a really intense workout. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's – what they're doing is in, – it's insane really. Like, you know, I'm, I haven't written much in a long time. But when I do, it's, you sit down and you're going, right, I don't write much. So I'm trying to figure out how a story's going to work and I'm not visualizing it. And you think, like, they've got that. They understand where everyone's placed. They understand how the world they're working, what the rules of that world are. And I, I get it because they've done this. It's almost like you can imagine Quentin Tarantino probably played Dungeons and Dragons because he's got a whole, I don't know if he did, but he's got a whole backstory there that you never even find out about you know and that's what seems to happen in this you realize there's all this stuff sat there and you think if no one went down that path none of this would be talked about (laughs) but he's written it all out like it's it just seems crazy yeah in terms of world building yeah it's pretty it's pretty incredible how people seem to have a knack for it i i enjoy writing but i'm more of uh I, i think i leaned more towards the essay and the, uh, you know, kind of a, a critique or a review on things was more of my wheelhouse. Yeah. But I could, coming up with, um, I mean, again, I don't know if any idea is really original. They're all kind of like a little bit of this and you take a little bit of that and you combine them and and you can come up with something. But I, I always felt like anytime I would tell a story, I would just be stealing from, let me take a little bit of, you know, this comic book story mixed with, you know, that tale from the Bible and then this tale from, you know, some movie I like. And it's Star Wars mixed with the Bible and Marvel. <laughs> and I don't feel it's original at all. But that's oftentimes what happens, right? Well, I've not heard of anyone doing that. So that would be pretty original. <laughs> well, they, they say that, that George Lucas borrowed a lot of his ideas so clearly from uh, things such as uh, Dune almost like completely t- took the, the concept of Dune and, and made it his own in a way. And then yeah. uh, they say as well, some of Jack Kirby's uh, fourth world is is thrown into Star Wars, which I can, I can kind of see it, some of the themes. And then I, I, I don't remember, but I think there was a, a samurai movie that he brought yeah. from Flash Gordon. Like there are all these pieces where you realize like, oh, that's really from that or that's really from this. And then you put it together and no, it, this is Star Wars. Yeah. that's. A, I think like, I think you can, you can go back right to the start of storytelling um, and see how it all connects with today, really. I mean, in theory, there are new, no new stories. I mean, yeah. even when you take someone like Grant Morrison, who seems to be completely new every time he writes anything, and he's even he will say himself, like with the new X Men run, there's only so many X Men stories. You've just got to kind of mix them up a bit and you make it feel like it's new. Yeah. That's all you do. But as long as it feels new, people think they're getting something different, everyone's happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you like Grant Morrison's X Men? I've never read it. I absolutely loved it. Okay. I know that yeah. there's people who love it and then you've got the folks who are like, ah, not my not my X Men. 
Tell me, tell me why it's, you loved um, it. I think the pairing of him and Frank Quitely is just perfect. It's, yeah. and, and like there are some some really odd humorous moments in it. Um, I think like well, it's really hard not to spoil it anyway. But one of the Shia soldiers, Smasher, I think it is, crashed lands on Earth looking for the X-Men for help, but he thinks he's found an earthling and he's asking them for help. And when it pans out, it's a cow and it's just so ridiculous, (laughs) but I loved it. And it does things like that. And then it's incredibly dark. Um, and then sometimes it just, it does go a little bit too far the other way into that Grant Morrison, excessive surreality, um, thing. Like I think the last two storylines I find, I found a bit of a struggle. They were quite hard to understand. Like, um, uh, what was, uh, there's one that's based on, um, days of future past basically. Okay. But it's so weird. And they're going, yeah, because all this happened in the future, that's now fixed the present. And I, that's it. <laughs> Where? I don't understand. Um, and there's the one that introduces Phantom X in terms of the, the world, that thing that he comes from. And I, I didn't get it. It's the origin of weapon X and, like the base origin of Weapon X, it explains who all the different weapons are, which is a great idea, mm-hmm. but I couldn't understand it, to be honest. You know, I'm not going to pretend I did. But then, like, the rest of it, there are some artwork dips which have been explained. But otherwise, like, it's such a strong run. Mm. Um, I just, I loved it. It's just fun. It's just pure fun. And it, and from what I've heard, it's kind of like, it's its own thing, even though it's the X-Men it it becomes like its own almost X Men bubble in a way. Is that is it that definitely fair? stands alone? Okay. Yeah, I think I think the problem they had with it was that when it finished, because he he tried to move them on. He clearly tried to move them on, but he's respectful of the fact that someone else is going to pick this up. But when he finished, they got rid of a lot of the things that he'd introduced. Right. So yeah. it felt like it had been undone. Yeah, I went which was astonishing. X-Men, that was right? frustrating. Yeah, um, it was yeah. So around astonishing X Men, well, like no more the whole no more mutants thing undid the mutant town stuff that he'd set up, mm. and about the new position that mutants played in the world. Mm. No, the whole House of M thing basically undid it all, which Got was you. a shame because it was going in a really good direction, a logical direction. Uh, there's numerous other things they undid, but that was one of them. I mean, the the end, the, the main ending with the confrontation with Magneto without ruining it for anybody. I'd like to think that that was what we saw was what happened, but then they kind of undid it in the story following it written by someone else Mm. straight away. And you kind of go, ah, do you know what? That was such a good ending. And you've, you've just gone. Yeah, but nah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's where the, the choice as fans, right? Where it's like, okay, well that's where I'm, this is the ending I enjoy. And I'm going to yeah. stick with this for me. I don't know yeah. if you've ever done that sometimes with television shows where you've really enjoyed it. And then in your mind, you've said, okay, season five was how it ended. It, whatever they <laughs> continued doing was now it got the show became too big for its bridges or it became uh, the, the seasons or episodes became too, too agenda driven that we've lost the story of the world that we were supposed to be in. Like five seasons or six seasons was good. That's it. Westworld. (laughs) Westworld, there is only one series. That's fine. I'm fine with that. That was a great series. And then series two just disappeared up its own backside. Hmm, Interesting. I haven't seen it. No, didn't like it. I haven't seen Westworld because I don't have HBO. It's on HBO, right? 
Oh, it's on. It's on um, a different thing here. I think oh. it's, on, it's on Sky Atlantic or something here. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you needed a special cable package to get that, and I didn't. Uh. I didn't have that. So there's a couple things I've never seen that a lot of people are like, "Oh, really? You haven't seen it?" So I've never watched Game of Thrones. Oh, right. <laughs> and I've never watched uh, Westworld, and uh, I've never watched The Wire. Or the Sopranos. Same, same here. On the last two, I've never seen either. Yeah, but as a as a you know participant in fandom, uh, to not watch Game of Thrones is everyone's puzzled by it. So <laughs> I will it's, get um, to it. It's a funny one though, because like uh, this is what's weird about getting into this D and D influence stuff at the moment is I don't do fantasy. I don't get it. I don't get these kind of abstract rules of magic. I just realized my camera's not on. Do you want my camera on? I know well, it's... Only if you'd like. I, I don't mind. Yeah, I like sorry. seeing the guest. But... I'm trying not to talk with my hands so much because I do it a lot and then I don't speak. No, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> there you are. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's weird with Game of Thrones because – and all this, all that kind of stuff. I don't. I just don't get on with it and I never have. Not even like – Partly because – no, I don't get Lord of the Rings at all. It's, okay. it's a lot of it. It's this whole, my magic's more powerful than yours. And you go like, well, why? Have you got more batteries? Have you, <laughs> what? How did, are you on like one of those, those exercise bikes with the gyro thing and you're charging up and then you're going to blast them? Like, how, how does this work? And there's just no explanation. And I just can't get on with it. And it's, it tends to also be set in a pseudo England. Always. That's true. You know? A medieval England, and everyone's got, especially when it's an animated series, which is largely voiced by American actors, and they've got this strange pseudo English accent, <laughs> and it's it's just weird. I just find it. Why is it always that? So I, I've never got on with it. It tends to be the same kind of stuff all the time. And so my wife was watching Game of Thrones, and I was reading comics. Ta-da! Surprise! But I was sat there reading comics, <laughs> and next thing. I mean, yeah, as a male, I was distracted by some of the stuff that was going on screen that I wasn't expecting from that kind of thing. It was obviously aimed at adults. Yes. Um, and then Tyrion came on, and he's one of the best characters I've seen in anything I've ever watched. He's right. brilliant. Right. Um, so he's the he's the, the little, little guy. I don't know how to say it in, in a... Uh, a PC kind of way, but like, yeah, he is Peter Dinklage. He is one of the best actors I have ever seen in my life. I absolutely fell in love with him. And then I, all I cared about was him. Um, and I had to watch it and I had to follow it and everyone else is kind of interesting, but he was just such good character and such good lines and such good delivery that that's it. I'm so I'm putting this down. I'm watching this program. I'm going to, I'm going to go back and watch the first one, watch the rest of this second one. And I'm getting into this because, like, something's different here. And I think it was because it it felt a bit more grown up and it felt like there were stakes. That was one of the key things. It feels like something, anything could happen to anybody. You, know, any, you could follow a character, fall in love with a character, and they'll die <laughs> within three episodes or 12 episodes or three years. Right. And you just don't know. And, and that's exciting to me. I right. want to go into something and not go, oh, that's, I thought they'd do that, yeah, throughout the whole thing, because that's what I tend to do. I like to be surprised. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, 
I know what you mean, and especially when uh, I think our last chat, when you talked about, um, you know, sometimes watching the beginning of a movie, seeing who the, how the characters interact, just from that little start, what the problem is or what the, the the mystery, and you just like, okay, that's where it's going, and and it's it's somewhat satisfying to be like, ha, I told you so, but then at the same time, you're kind of like, yeah, I've seen that, right? So it's true mm. when when the when the stakes are high and, and the drama feels like uh, anything can happen and it doesn't belong to a, um, you know, corporate IP like, a, like a, a Marvel or a DC or something where you know, like, they're coming back, which is, it's, it's also part of the charm, right? Because you enjoy seeing yeah. that comeback story. But... Um, there are some like you like you were mentioning Game of Thrones, and I don't know if you. I, I recently this year watched Sons of Anarchy for the first time, and there were moments where I had that feeling what as well. Where I'm like, oh no, like they can't, they they couldn't have done that, really. <coughs> so I I know what you mean. It's it keeps you engaged because you just don't know. It was quite sweet. Like so I went to the cinema. Um, the cinema, because such an English word is heaven. What is like cinema? <laughs> With a compatriot of the mine. Theater. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I said, Elizabeth, come with. <laughs> We're off to the cinema um, to partake in a picture. <laughs> so, yeah, we brought tea. It was great. We Basically, it was the first Spider, it was the Sam Raimi Spider Man film. So, okay. we'd been promised a Spider Man film since what, 1990, I think? Something like um, that. And that was when it was James Cameron was going to do it. Oh, I think at one point he then jumped yeah. on it. And then, um, oh, it was going to be Leonardo DiCaprio was going to be Peter Parker and la, 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 la. And this thing was promised and dropped and promised and dropped for about 14 years. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man comes out. My boss said to me, and I'd, I'd literally tried to get her into comics, and she read a few, which was nice. Um, but then she got it. And when Spider-Man came out, she went, right, it's out today. You need to take the afternoon off. Go see Spider-Man. Like, are you for real? <laughs> like, yeah, go. You've been looking forward to this for 14 years. You need to go watch it. So I took a friend of mine who I was working with as well. We both left. And it got towards that end fight. Spoiler alert. I know it's old. But that big fight with the Green Goblin and who looked like a Power Rangers villain. But it's fine. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... He gets that Sam Raimi moment where the grenade goes off in his face and his yeah. entire face is all wobbling and, you know, his blood spattering yeah. off the side of his face. And my friend just, she just like turned around to me and she went, she went, I can't watch. He's going to die. And I went, what? <laughs> and she went, does he die? And I went, Yeah. <laughs> and then she just didn't watch it and I went like you didn't watch you didn't watch the end of the film of course he doesn't die it's Spider-Man <laughs> like that rule seems obvious to me yeah but it's not to people that aren't used to this kind of stuff it, it's nice when you look back and you see these people that talk about um, Amazing Spider-Man number 50 in what would that have been 1966-ish yeah and it said Spider-Man no more on the cover and people were genuinely thinking oh, this is it this is the end and, and they really believed it. This is going to be the end of Spider-Man. And it's I think like we don't we don't have that with these characters anymore. In like Death of Wolverine, well, how long is he going to be dead for? Right. <laughs> what, right. what a weird question is that. Right. How, right. Yeah, but how long is he going to be dead? Yeah. Like, yeah. So it was. I like that idea that people were so shocked by a cover like that, and they they would buy it and they'd believe it. And it's 
it's cool. That's how you should feel. You should feel shocked and you should feel excited and you should, you should care about a character or serious set of characters because you're worried about them to you. It's real. Yeah. I think Spider-Man especially was that character for a long while where they might, they might kill somebody in his family and like they've done it before they killed his Mm. his future father-in-law i don't know if he was engaged at the time with gwen they killed him he was gone and Mm -hmm. it it created problems in his life because his his girlfriend was mad at his alter ego and yeah and and the you know spoilers for everybody but captain stacy much like in the movies if you've seen amazing spider-man 2 gave him the responsibility to take care of the daughter so here and and he knew that all along that peter parker was spider-man so it put him in such a conundrum and then not long after that i I think it was what maybe two years later publishing wise something like that yeah about two years yeah and then gwen dies it's just Mm -hmm. and and of course you they've teased all these years of how she's come back and she's just a clone but then the real gwen remember like all the things that they tampered with but you know Spider-Man 121, Gwen Stacy died. It happened. Mm-hmm. And you lived in that reality of the character. And I think the, the last time in a comic book where I felt that sort of, that same feeling of, I don't know what could happen, was reading Invincible. I feel like that happens in Invincible quite frequently. And when they do cheat and um, redo something in a way, they've done it in a way that hasn't been quite done before, that you didn't uh. expect either. I don't know oh, how far cool. along in your reading you've gotten with Invincible. I dropped, not dropped it. I've it's on hold for the minute because I'm distracted by so many other yeah. comics that I'm yeah. trying to read, yeah. and I do want to get back to it because I know it it gets better. It feels like it's kind of finding its feet and establishing characters, and I'm kind of going, yeah, yeah, I know. I want to just get to the meat now. I want to kind of get to the stuff everyone was talking about, um, but I'm not racing ahead and like i want to get there but i'm gonna put it on hold so it's kind of i'm in a weird place with it have you finished the first compendium no i'm about 10 issues off okay yeah the the cool thing about that book uh, that series was you can see the indie element in the beginning and the artwork subtly changes and kind of gets better and then as the book goes on, you say, you realize like, man, the art in this book has gotten really good. You've watched the progression and growth of Ryan Otley through, throughout the book to when you get to midway through or near the end of that second compendium's worth. It's, right. it's like, wow, this guy is, is really turned into something. Did he do that recent? I don't know if you've seen that Joker. What's it called? Joker War? event that dc just finished oh that three just jokers three jokers oh it was the um i think hang on i'm gonna try and look was it, it the jeff johns one really quickly i've got a feeling it was ryan otley and thinking i didn't twig it's even the same guy that drew an image like a cover for it and like his art's so completely different the the artist for uh the three jokers is jason fabok he's actually from that's right he's he's not too far from from toronto He's a, a local. In oh, a really? Yeah, he's about three hours away. I have had the, the chance to meet him a few times. Really nice guy. Uh, he was he was actually one of my first interviews on the podcast. 
He was really? nine, yeah, before he really blew up and kind of became like he was he had finished uh, uh the Dark Side War with Justice League and he was working on the button at the time for Batman and Flash crossover. Yeah. And he was doing signings at a local shop and uh we were able to to chat with him quite intimately at the shop and then he came onto the podcast one of my my first interviews which is kind of cool to have cuz I don't know how easy it would be now to to get him on but um yeah his his artwork he was he was a um apprentice to David Finch Oh you can tell you can tell yeah yeah he was his apprentice and they both lived in the same town by chance so he really um he kind of he kind of modeled his work, but now you can tell them apart, which is cool. Like you can see that they're a similar yeah. style, but you can tell them apart. But uh, Ryan Otley is, or just recently finished uh, a run on Spider Man. That's right. Yeah, I can, I mixed him up because Brad Walker was on. Wasn't Brad Walker originally the artist? Yeah, Brad Walker's just done Joker War on oh. Batman. Oh, Joker which is, War, which takes place after Three Jokers. Oh, but he okay. just did a cover, and it's. The Joker pinned down because like his art's grown incredibly since Invincible. Like it's 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 amazing. There's this cover where he's kind of. I was going to try and show it to you, but it doesn't help your listeners. <laughs> no, no, that's you very may have seen cool. it. I haven't seen that. That looks amazing. It's it's ridiculously cool. Because um, who was? The, oh yeah, another one actually that I found recently. I don't know if you've heard of uh, Ahoy Comics. I've heard of them. I, think I have fairly new. I've I've heard of them. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I've read anything though. But I definitely heard of them. Those they've just done a oh, just done. A, I think it was about a year or two old. Um, but it's it's called the Wrong Earth. And again, there's some creators on there that I saw in the '90s, and then you're seeing them now. And like their art's just like it's Jamal Eagle Eagle. Jamal Eagle. Yeah, it's, yeah, Jamal Eagle. Mm-hmm. And I think he did um, Wolverine Iron, like a Wolverine Iron Fist miniseries okay. in the late nineties. Yeah, yeah, sounds, like, sounds right. Yeah, capable artist, and everything's in the right place. But it's it wasn't biting, you know. And then he was he's just something art on this wrong earth thing, and it's basically it's such a weird concept. So it's basically if you took the Batman sixties TV show, and then you jumped Batman and the Joker out of that world and you dropped them into the Justice League Snyder Batman and Joker and took them out of their world and dropped them into the 60s. They basically swap worlds. Probably make a better movie. So you've got this incredibly dark Batman type character and incredibly dark Joker type character in the 1960s kind of silliness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then conversely, you've got the, um, the really bright upbeat versions in this incredibly dark world. Yeah. And it, it's, it's like the, the Batman references have been done a billion times <clears throat> and multi, uh, and alternate realities have been done a billion times, but somehow it's Tom Payer who I think did stuff like Quicksilver for Marvel, something like that in the nineties as well. Um, a few other bits off the top of my head I can't even think of. Um, and then Jamal, so it was Eagle. Eagle. Jamal Eagle, yeah. Um, and it's just, it looks amazing. It's fun. It's funny. And because it's because it reverses things, it becomes more shocking, even though you've seen more shocking stuff. It's because it's happening to these really innocent characters. Right, right. And, and also vice versa. But they're like this, it's called Dragon... 
the follow-up is Dragonfly and Dragonfly Man. So Dragonfly Man's the, the cheesy one and Dragonfly's the the kind of gritty one. Hmm. And it's so it's knowingly silly. Yes. But just it looks amazing. It like his art is outstanding on it. Um and it's just a really fun story. And that's that I read that the other night and just thought like, I was gonna try it out. And it was just brilliant. And, and you don't, again, you don't know what's going to happen to the characters. You don't honestly know what's going to happen next. Yeah. I couldn't guess it. Yeah, that's, that, that's a special feeling to discover something that is somewhat an unknown entity in a way where there isn't, you know, years or years worth or all of the critical acclaim of everybody saying, yeah, yeah, that's, that's top, top of food chain where you kind of discover it and it's that hidden gem becomes that hidden gem. Those are the best. Yeah. Yeah. That's they cool. are. It's hard. Though. Sometimes you'll read some, just a few dodgy lower tier kind of unknown books. And then you'll go, this isn't working out for me. I'm going to dip back into Batman. <laughs> My yeah. comfort zone. Yeah. And then I'm going like, Oh, I'm kind of doing, I've been doing this for a while. I'm going to just try some stuff out. It's just, it's, it seems to kind of veer between those two areas, but finding something that no one's heard of, like, like picking up that gorillas book, um, last year, hmm. it was just a random purchase. Really? I don't even, I don't even know why I picked it up, but it's just that concept of a band of, uh, genetically evolved apes in Vietnam. Hmm. And stuff happens. It's like, okay, I don't want to know anymore. I'm just going to read the book. And it was brilliant. The pace was insane. I, I cared so much about the apes. That's cool. <laughs> and I cared about the guy that was with them. And I loved it. And then I'm getting onto Instagram going like, you have to read this thing. <laughs> and some people have said, I got it. I read your recommendation. I picked it up. And it's just, a, it's a great feeling. Yeah. So you get, you get a book like X Factor that Peter David was writing and it's X Factor Investigations. And there's a lot there, you know, it's 22 paperback volumes, I think 22, 24, whatever it is. And you're going, you have to read this. And people go, yeah, I've heard good things. Read it. Yeah. I haven't (laughs) read it. I've never read it. It's brilliant. Yeah. And I, and I know it's, it's one of those things where people, when they bring it up and they just, they get into this like you know there's 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 good comics and then you've got you got this this book here and it's not like the X Factor that Peter David did back in the nineties like this is this that character became something that no one ever cared about like you get you hear people really get passionate about this book that is this um, dark horse that becomes the greatest hits I feel I feel like uh, I don't know if you've read it because it may have um, overlapped into the era era of Marvel that you didn't. Uh, you, you you stopped reading, but the Silver Surfer by Dan Slott and Mike Allred, it's I did oh, for me I just that can't was, remember very well. That was that when if you finish the whole series, which will go into because um, I think Secret Wars, it, it yeah it it kind of stopped at Secret Wars and then restarted, but I don't oh. know it, yeah and it, and they did uh, issues one to fourteen I think in total. If they when they collected it into like an omnibus, it was about twenty seven to thirty issues complete. Oh, something like that. And it's a complete. Oh, only story. Read half then. It's a complete story. It doesn't affect. Like you could read this Silver Surfer, and that's all you ever read, and you're mm-hmm. good. You don't need to. You whatever happened previously in his history, you can take it or leave it, and then how the story ends. It's just, it stands on its own in such a beautiful way. It really makes you, 
it get, it hits you in the feels. And uh, it's it's a good one. I I, I don't want to oversell it to you, and then you'd be like, oh, this is just this is so silly. This Doctor Who ripoff. <laughs> it's with the Watchmen, but uh, that was one for me that I didn't expect to care about, and I I can't wait to own it in any type of format that it can come in. I like it that much. I did ponder picking it up. I didn't realize it went on after Secret Wars. Yeah. Um, Five trades. So I'm total. really regretting that. Oh. Five trades. Damn it. Um, yeah, I, I think next time they release it, because they're getting really good at re-releasing and reprinting an omnibus here and there now. So, so yeah. I'll keep an eye out for it, because I, I, love, I love all red stuff. I just I picked up X-Ray Robot recently, and um, I, 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 it didn't make any sense to me <laughs> at all. But I loved it, because <laughs> it's just his style and uh, he's one of those people as well that where you kind of go like it's a 60s kind of style the yeah. science doesn't really matter just yeah. go with it it's and not... have a laugh you like, oh, right. see that's my approach to the fantasy see it like the where you get the hang up i kind of just, let's just go with it yeah and I'll, and I'll it's kind of like uh the same like if i can if i can buy into the the force of the jedi i can you know, listen to Gandalf the White or whatever he goes by as he the story progresses. I just love the the epicness of those type of of stories. I think I enjoy that part of it as well as the yeah. I guess the sword and sorcery to to an extent. I I do have fun with all of that stuff. But I never was a person who was really into like Doctor Strange or uh, Doctor Fate. Those weren't comics that I just didn't. Did, like you said, I, I just I don't know if I would get it. Now I, I might I might have more of an appreciation for it, but back a couple years ago, no, not at all. I was intrigued to I wanted to pick up the Jason Aaron was I think I think he started after Secret Wars and that was one of the the titles I did want to try because it was Chris Pachalo and Jason Aaron I think, and it I don't know I just I think it's because I didn't have an attachment to him. So when I dropped everything else, I was thinking like, okay, that intrigues me now because it's not something I cared about before. Because <laughs> um, like before, what did I, I think I liked about about six to 12 issues worth of Roger Stern, Dr. Strangers in the early eighties with Paul Smith yeah, artwork yeah. and they're beautiful looking comics. And there's one, and I read it, but it's been so long since I've read it, but like he's, going through a, a forest, I think, and there's some, there's an archer up in a tree and they've got a bow and arrow pointing at him. And I'm just like, there's some, the, the composition of that cover is just gorgeous. And I, I had to have it. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's that little run. And if they ever collect that in something, I'm having it. I'm having it now. But um, <laughs> otherwise, there was that period where Roy Thomas was writing it. And I know a lot of people love Roy Thomas, but I, I can't. It's, it doesn't work for me. Like, it doesn't make sense. And he's really misogynistic. Like, his comics are really misogynistic. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a feature, I think, well. of the times. Yeah. yeah. There were just certain things that people didn't bat an eyelash to that you could you could get away with. And, the, and that you got to keep that in mind. I tell people often, you got to keep certain things in mind when you read that. Certain things might not sit well in today's world, but it was the 60s doesn't make it okay but it was what at that time nobody was feeling offended by it if that yeah. is any consolation no one found that to be aggressive the way we would today 
it was the norm then. It's, it's, I was reading a, a Doctor Strange. I, th- I think it's the story that introduced the Defenders. Actually, it's the Undying Ones, which is a mini crossover, um, as, which was barely even a crossover at that point. They didn't really do them officially then. So it's about 1969, 1970, and he's just gone through a really tough mission or storyline or something and then Clea's trying to comfort him and he goes basically get off me woman you don't understand you don't know what I'm going through and she's going oh I wish I could help him but I just can't because I'm but a woman <laughs> right oh yeah <laughs> this that, hasn't aged well that doesn't age well no no it's true and it, if you look at it <clears throat> excuse me and realize wow that's so silly and take it for that and know that it's ridiculous that's mm. you know you could you could approach it that way, um, but yeah, the, the certain comics, certain stories, they just don't age well. Even movies, right? You look at you watch some movies and you go, man, that would not be okay today. And we just watched it like it was normal. Yeah, it's it's funny how I think like a lot of things still get away with it. Like you just with James Bond, I think a lot of people just yeah. go, yeah, but it was the sixties, like shut up. But with some other things, people go. This, that's disgusting. And you're like, yeah, but it, it wasn't then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, I think context. We we we've lost the power of context of considering um, why certain things people got away with them. Why people may have been like, there's misinformation. There's uh, a lack of education. I mean, a lot of these people didn't know how to read. That felt these ways. You know. Yeah. Uh, they didn't leave the the town they were in. They, you know, they, a lot of people grew up with the mentality of that, that, um, I guess medieval sort of thing where you leave the, the, the walls of the castle, you leave the walls of the city and whatever is out there kills you. And people, I think mentally in a lot of ways, people mentally have that mentality that if you leave the tribe, whatever your tribe might be, uh, whatever's on the other side will get you. And, you know, to an extent we, we carry that on today, even in our super, uh, political correct, make sure no one's offended era that we live in, we still sometimes can have that mentality, right? I, I, I was thinking yeah. about it today where it's like, if I'm not a participant or if I don't believe in the canceling of the person who got canceled, then I should be canceled too. Like that's almost becoming, it feels like that's how you, you, people are behaving. Wow. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's like that in England, but in North America, it's it, it can be like that. But we're not we're it, not that different. I think we're pretty similar. I think we are. I think we kind of, we had a, a little spurt of that. And I think everyone's forgotten. We, we do here. We just kind of go, oh, we need to be uptight about something. Do we? Yeah, look, they're doing it. Oh, okay. And then it all kind of picks up for a bit. And then people suddenly remember this isn't America. This isn't, you know, <laughs> you live here. It's, yeah. it's different here. Yeah. We, we don't have quite as many guns. And we all live in castles. It's very different. Yeah, yeah. No, even there are neighbors, and and especially uh, Toronto to me, as a city, feels more American in in the way that it operates. Where when when I go to real parts of Canada, I don't recognize it the same way because I've I've lived in a city. I lived in in Toronto, so it feels more like when I go to Miami. And then I go into the suburbs of Miami. That's oh, this is. Or if I go to you know New York City, this reminds me of home. And when people ask me, oh, it's so pretty up there in the mountains, and I don't live by the mountains. I live what like what New York feels like is kind of like what it feels like to me. You go down to a certain part of the city, you're by the water, like. 
it's <laughs> so so um yeah it's it, we we tend to copy our american cousins if if you will our our american sibling where it's like we we don't have that problem the same it it exists everywhere but we're trying to almost have that experience here the same way, just like you described. It's like, no, that's a, that's much more of a problem there. And in some cases in that state, right? It's not yeah. our country. Yeah. I, I think that's one thing that people forget as well. It's almost like when you see, uh, when, when someone goes to another planet in pretty much any sci-fi film mm-hmm. and they go, Oh, we're on the snow planet. It's yeah. always the same season here, all over the same, all over the planet. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't have different areas like, like this country. There are bits with mountains. I haven't seen them, but apparently there are some small mountains we have. We don't yeah. like to talk about it. And then we have like uh, um, the county I'm from. There's a huge forest area. New where, forest. where are you from? I didn't ask you that last time, and I, I I'm to. from Hampshire in. Um, which is right down the bottom, down the south of England on the coast. Okay. So we're on the coast, but we've got a huge, um, huge forest area as well. It's a real mix here. Um, yeah, so it's, it's right down the bottom. So we're kind of nearer, nearer France. Although I've only actually been there once. Just don't feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to anyone from France. No, don't um, I just, that. I failed French and I, I don't think I've ever forgiven them or myself my one failed GCSE. Oh, funny. <laughs> Whereas my sister can speak Russian, German, and French. Show off. And I'm just going in there with English just about. But like, <laughs> our parents are, are full Irish. Like my dad's from Kerry, um, rural Kerry. Very strong accent. My mum's from Limerick City, which is um, a different accent, but still really strong. And... Um, but I sound really English, so I think like if I say, "Well, I'm Irish," really, people just think you're trying to go that. Oh, everyone's Irish. Can't, <laughs> but I, you know, I actually have Irish parents. Yeah, I just don't have the accent. Just the occasional inflection comes out, or, or a little bit of strange phraseology. <laughs> did you grow? Did you grow up in England then? I guess from your yeah, accent. I was born and bred here. Okay, but um, yeah, my parents were born and bred in Ireland, and then moved over probably in like their late teens, early twenties. Yeah, yeah. But culturally, is it is would it would you say like you notice? Oh, my parents are Irish. That's why they do that in comparison to uh, Eng- being English. Is there that much of a cultural difference? Well, it's weird because my my mum pretends she's English, so she basically <laughs> came over here, put on a an accent, <laughs> um, and she corrects people in terms of how to say the name. It's actually pronounced Molino. But if someone phones up and goes, oh, Mrs. Molyneux, and she goes, it's Molino, actually. Molino. You go, like, you don't, that isn't your accent. I don't like Molino. It sounds pretentious, partly because I hear her saying that in my head. Ah. But, um, so you like yeah. Molyneux when I, when I mispronounce it? Oh, no, it's good. That's, that's how I say it as well. I, I mispronounce it. Oh. In fact, in my French exam, I'm so bad. I was so bad at French, I spelt my own name wrong. <laughs> Because it look it looks French. <laughs> it does, yeah, it I don't does. think I can do this. <laughs> yeah, that's a telltale sign. Language is not for you, my friend. You just keep practicing no. reading your your kitty books there. See how you come along. <laughs> you know how to spell Excelsior, but you don't know how to spell your name. <laughs> the irony. I should change my last name to Excelsior. Maybe. That's an awesome last name, actually. 
Yeah, uh, I don't know. Dave goes with it though. Dave uh, Excelsior. That's good. That's good. That's I don't. I like it. that. Should be your podcast uh, handle. I like it. Um, I, I when we were planning for this episode, so we've gone forty-five minutes plus. Wow. And we haven't talked about anything we thought we would, which is why uh, you make a great guest, and I could talk to you all the time. Um, I wanted to ask you because your your website, Marvel Comics Guide, was originally conceived based on your love of crossovers. What are some of your favorite comic book crossovers? Now you can pick all Marvel or whichever ones you want. There is no no rules to this list, but I imagine there were Marvel crossovers for you to make that website specifically Marvel-centric. Yeah, I'm definitely no expert on on DC crossovers. Um, the, the one that springs to mind, actually, it's not that it's on the list, but just an honorary mention, um, when I read the Sinestro Cold ah, War, yes. oh, my God. Yeah. What, I, was, I was sat there literally next to my wife just going, oh, my God, you wouldn't believe what just happened. She's going, what? And I'm trying to explain it. I'm going, like, this isn't going to yeah. translate. Any chance you want to read? You don't? No. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that, that one holds was, up, man. Oh, that holds up. It's so good. It was, and, and it's funny. I think I may have mentioned this a bit last time, but um, something happened. So when I kind of made the transition between Marvel and DC, and I'm veering off again, but I made when I made the transition between Marvel and DC, um, part of it was fed by this stubbornness that I've had for years going who would want to, who would want to read a comic called green lantern. It sounds ridiculous. Like it's, it's of its time, let it go. And then someone came into my <laughs> office at work and they said, Oh, you're going to watch that captain America film that's coming out. And I went, yeah. They went, why captain America's crap? Like, okay. How do you mean captain America's crap? And they went, cause he's so pro American. Well, hang on a minute. You've misunderstood a character name and costume and put a persona to him. How much have you read? And they went, none. Like, well, of course, I, I knew that. Right. <laughs> but, and, but I was doing the same with Superman. I was doing the same with Green Lantern. And I realized what a complete hypocrite I was. Isn't that the best, so, though, when you realize, like, what am I doing? This is so silly. Yeah. It's, it's almost uh, refreshing. Like, there's a freedom to it. Like, ah, oh, grow up. This is so dumb. It's funny, like grow up, start reading Green Lantern. Yes, <laughs> pick up the Green Lantern book. Don't be silly. That was the thing. Like I bought the um, the three omnibuses, omnibuy, yep. omnib- whatever you want to call the plural, um, and loved them. And like I mentioned last week, I actually loved last week last time. I'm I loved GLC more. Yes, but I wasn't going to read that either because in my head, Green Lantern core sounded sillier. So I'm not going to read that. And then didn't love it more. So I've stopped myself from doing this. That sounds silly. It's like that whole gorillas thing. That sounds silly. Yes. I'm going to pick it up. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and see if it is silly. I'll, I will let it do the talking. It's like when, when you see them going, oh, we're going to do this with a character now. We're going to give Spider-Man a new costume. We're going to do this. And people go, no, that's terrible. This is going to be awful. If you haven't read it. It's not come out yet. <laughs> give it a chance. Yeah. And I, I was doing the same thing, and I, but I didn't realize I was doing the same thing. Yeah, so. I do that too. But that's, that's that the only too. one I could think of. I think we all do, don't we, until we yeah. kind of hit this. You hear yourself back, and you go, oh, I'm a bellet. What am I doing? Yeah. I'm missing out on stuff with my own, what, arrogance, naivety, stupidity, whatever you want to call it. It's not a good – you're cutting your nose off. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I think like, okay, for instance, for me, I don't have any interest in future state from DC. Just, I, I just, uh, I'm not running to the store for it. I don't care. It's just another thing that DC is doing to try to get people to buy some number ones. And I know it's, it's now, um, part of it is, is largely the representation and going into the future and having creators write characters that they want to talk about, which is very cool. For me, it doesn't excite me to go and pick up those books because I have a ton of Batman books I still have to read, right? So there's yeah. that aspect of like, in the past I would have because it was FOMO, right? There's that fear of missing out. We, we need to, I could have been there when Walking Dead was on the shelf, so I got to make sure I'm at the shop every week to see what's hot or what's, the, what's that new number one that I could get. I don't, I'm past that. So mm-hmm. that's part of my thing of, meh. When I, if, if it's collected in a way that excites me or, you know, I can get more of a, a feel of what I'm going to get out of it, yeah, okay, maybe. But, I, but then there's that other part where, okay, I, I'm, I, I've overcome the FOMO, but now I'm also arrogant. Where it's like, meh, that's beneath me. Or why would I read something so silly like Squirrel Girl? Stupid right <laughs> and then you you turns out oh my goodness this is the best book and everybody should read it that ha- that's that's the best feeling when you're wrong yeah it's it's i i take enormous pleasure in being wrong now i, I did it i've done it with music i've done it with films but there was a while i wouldn't listen to any american bands at all because it was 1991 and i was 14 and i knew everything <laughs> however old i was 15 um what was your favorite then, band in 19 late in the 90s you had you grew in up in a early, good era of music it was a oh i was so lucky i yeah. feel really lucky yeah yeah um but here we were in a weird spot here because in independent indie bands yes as it was they didn't have a sound so if you kind of went the indie route you you could get anything you could be into any style of music or any like mashup style of music and you had you know there was so much to choose from so I was into bands that you probably won't have heard of. I, I imagine they didn't make a, a big jump across the sea, but um, Pop Elite itself and The Wonder Stuff and Ned's Atomic Dustbin, all of which probably won't mean anything at all. But then I was going to American bands, which should be, I don't I wasn't even like a patriot. Right, right, right. We don't, we're not a particularly patriotic country in a lot of ways. And I'm, you know, I'm certainly never that type. Um, and then I suddenly, I would steal my sister's Nirvana albums and secretly play them. And then I thought, I was thinking like, what am I doing? Just, what am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> we had this little revelation. And next thing you know, it's like, so Nirvana were out and Pearl Jam and Smashing Pumpkins. And so I was very much into that kind of alternative rock period of, of the early 90s. Um, and then things got a bit heavier and Marilyn Manson came out that you can't really like him at the moment, um, it's all gone a bit controversial. Um, but I loved it. I loved Marilyn Manson um, in the mid nineties. And then I went to a club because they were playing Marilyn Manson. They were playing Smashing Pumpkins, and they were playing the Beastie Boys in the same club. And it's like it's metal night. And they were just all of a sudden sabotage comes on, and I lose my like I lose my mind. Yeah. Like this is amazing. I forgot about this song, and I started getting into some hip hop stuff, and then. So you, yeah, there, there is this weird thing, I think, as, as well. It's almost like that tribalism you were talking about earlier, where you go, I'm this kind of music. I'm only going to listen to this kind of music. Yep. And anything else is wrong, unless it kind of crosses over, in which case that's okay. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very teenage. That's a teenage mentality. Yeah. Yeah, I found the um, best of this, and I'm cool for it. And you listen to that, like you're you're weird. Yeah, yeah. There was a period of time when they, in the '90s where you had in England where you had the Metlers versus the Ravers. So the Ravers were into that early '90s dance music, right? And then the Metlers were into at that point probably Iron Maiden, Metallica. <laughs> I can't even think because I wasn't into that stuff. I can't even think who else there'd be. Skid Row, God, I don't know. At one point, the guy from Skid Row was following me on Marvel Comics Guide. That's hilarious. <laughs> but I didn't know who he was. So he, he, made, he made a comment, and someone went, oh, my God, dude, that's the coolest thing. And I went, like, I only just kind of responded. I, I just made a little joke. I didn't think it was that cool. And he started messaging, like, private messaging, and that's the guy from Skid Row. And like, hey, let me just remind myself who's Skid Row. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you get that, actually, Pop Will Eat itself. I mentioned just now that I was into as a, as a kid, the, the the lead singer from Pop Elite itself went on to make soundtracks. Clint Mantle, he made the soundtrack for um, Pi. Um, uh, oh, God, I'm having a total block. The Wrestler, um, I think he did as well. He did Doom. If you IMDb him, you'll see him. But basically, he's gone completely from being this kind of underground indie vocalist to being this music producer yeah for these big films um i can't think oh darren aronofsky virtually every darren aronofsky film the soundtrack is by clint mantle wow that requiem for a dream of course he did that as one of the ones that made him um uh, sort of semi-famous but he follows me on instagram that's very cool i I idolized this guy i dyed my hair the same color as him Ah. or tried to (laughs) (laughs) it was supposed to be a pillar box red and it went luminous orange it was i looked ridiculous but it's weird and like i chatted to him about comics that's a little while back like this is so weird and i didn't want to go i didn't want to embarrass myself like i did with alan davis so i didn't i just played it cool (laughs) (laughs) but it was so odd but it was brilliant yeah i i I dream about that because there are a couple of i i grew up a big uh fan of hip-hop music i like all kinds of music but as a teenager that was my replacement for comic books um so i there's a couple of very well-known hip-hop producers like pete rock or uh, um you know historically like the wu-tang clan method man they're really really big into comics to the point where they they all have like extra monikers because like uh ghostface killer is known as tony stark right he's named his albums iron man uh, he ha- he's used Iron Man skits throughout, and I think even um, one of the more famous engineers, hip hop engineers, uh, Jay Z's hip hop engineers, name's Young Guru. Uh, he- he's famously very passionate about comic books and has an incredible collection that his dad curated for him growing up. That I nice. think it it was the reason why Jay Z named his album Kingdom Come. Oh really? It was a it was a comeback album, yeah. And and his engineer, I think, was reading Mark Wade's Kingdom Come, and he named the album based off of off of that. They ended up having a conversation. Oh wow! Yeah, little little tidbits. And so I always dream about talking to these guys about the two things I love, and and kind of comparing uh, the the that little seed that sort of connects the two worlds. There's something about comic books and hip-hop music as well as comic books as well as wrestling there's something about those things that connect with 
certain fans. I don't know how big WWE is there. I know we're always told here that it's pretty large. Like Wembley Stadium had one of the biggest events in WWF history uh, with the British Bulldogs. Yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't know. I, I never got into it. I think it was on cable at the time and we we didn't have cable yeah because um, our english wrestling was kind of funny they're all <laughs> fat guys cool things like big daddy and yeah. kendo nagasaki and it was just a joke um yeah. so yeah i never saw the american stuff till way later and i kind of it sort of passed me by yeah you know i think if you if you've watched it uh as a kid growing up at the right time you you felt as though what you saw on TV were comic book characters come to life, mm. and so you really bought into you really bought into these characters fighting the bad guy in in a um, in a showdown. It was like a comic book showdown. Here's the giant, and here's the Hulk, or the Macho Man, or you and you were you believed it. Like these guys are wearing costumes, yeah, and they're they're muscular the way it looks in these books. These are guys straight out of a comic book, so they became that superhero villain aspect of it all became very uh, tantalizing as kids that you kind of don't grow out of it the same way you don't grow out of comic books in a weird way. So um, I, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say one, one of the things as well I quite like about it um, that I've not ever really been into it is the way people do – get really psyched for it and they buy into the kind of the story element even though like from, from someone who it passed by i look at it and i'm going how is anyone buying this and it's not necessarily that they're buying it it's just they want to believe it yeah and what you've just said makes it makes it all make sense to me now because yeah. I, I never had that yeah and and i don't know how we got onto this tangent of of comic books <laughs> or wrestling oh talking about musicians that's right you yes. were saying how the, the musician you grew up idolizing. So I always wanted to be able to, yeah, talk to hip-hop artists and producers who are, like, they put it out there. They wave their nerd flag. And I would just love to do that. That's cool that you got a chance to. Long story short. <laughs> I need to, oh, I'm not going to. There was a guy, there is a guy, a Canadian rapper, and he's done some, um, he's appeared on a, an album with a DJ who's from my hometown. And now I can't remember his name. So it's DJ Format. And he did some stuff with Abdominal, who I don't think is Canadian. And this other guy. And I'm sorry for the clicking noises, but I have to find out who this guy is. It's not Drake. No, I think it, he might be quite obscure. Oh, okay. So even when I find out, you might not recognize him. I don't know. I'll sneakily find out on the side while no, 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 <laughs> while no, we no carry problem. on. No, no problem. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's always a thrill when universes connect and, and and you can, you know, be fans with people that you're fans of in a different way. It's kind of a cool thing. There was a, a boss I had actually. He was obsessed with his band, um, and he followed them around. And one of the things he said to me when I told him my little Alan Davis story um, that I mentioned last time. And he said, the thing with this is don't talk about don't talk about what they do and how much you love what they do because they get it all the time. Talk about the common interests you have that are not that. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a certain amount of truth in that. Incidentally, the, the rapper was decisive, like decisive. No? Don't know it. No, I'm sorry. He might be a bit obscure. 
But yeah, I just it is funny when those worlds collide and you can when you find out someone reads comics and it's just really exciting. Um because it almost legitimizes it in a way, especially when you, know, you go through that period where you're going, I feel like I need to not let on that I read comics because I'm in my early 20s. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> people are going, grow up. Why? And <laughs> now you're the master. Up? Now now everyone's so, what do you know about this? So let's get back to the to the question I had asked you about your <laughs> your expertise. <laughs> okay, let's your, do it. Your, your crossover. Because Sinestro Core, you did mention, we were talking about that. That's a great, great story. Highly recommend. It's a fantastic story. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to do five Marvel ones. Okay. If we get time, I'll, I'll, I'll drop some more honorary mentions in. But my five Marvel ones, I'm going to do them in order. I've done them as a countdown. My top five. Number five, I've got – I'm not going to do anything that obscure in here just because – Yeah. It's just forcing it. It's shoehorning it. I'm, I'm going for the, your big events. So number five is Infinity Gauntlet. Mm, I love Infinity um, Gauntlet. Love it. Yeah. The build-up is probably better, though, than the Infinity War. <laughs> so yeah. the, the rebirth of Thanos yes. stuff, yes. if you consider that part of it, it's just such a, an incredible build-up. When, when Thanos came back, I didn't know who he was, apart from seeing that one picture in the Marvel UK Secret Wars comic. So this was my first exposure to Thanos, and it introduced him. It, um, Stalin understood that. Um, he sets the scene. He explains who he was. He explains the history. He has Thanos go off and trick the Silver Surfer, trap him on Dynamo City um, so he can't leave, which is a funny little story in itself, so it's got that humour in it. And we, we, uh, meanwhile, Thanos goes off and gets himself some gems. Not the same way as he did it in the films, but by kicking the crap out of people who are essentially godlike. Yeah. So being the elders of the universe... And he's harsh and he's smart about it. And he yeah. plays them at their own game. And you yeah. just go, this guy is amazing. Like, I, I now worship him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there, there is an element of, well, even in the movies, they do it in such a way where you, you, you have to stop him. But once he's got it, it's kind of like, he kind of deserves it, doesn't he? He, he? he earned it. He didn't cheat anybody, really. He sacrificed he confronted you head on. He let you know he was coming. Like he kind of, he's kind of gotten the power the old fashioned way. I mean, it's, it is yeah. villainous, but like you said, in, in Thanos quest, which is what you're, I think you're referring to. Yeah. That's you, the one. You, you, you get to the end of it. It's like, well, yeah, he deserves them all. He's, yeah. he's God. It's, it's funny as well. Cause they're kind of, they're not the best people either. No, none of them. No. So he's almost a good guy, as it is. Right, right. You know? And every so, best villain is the, almost the good guy. Is it, sorry, say that again. I, th I feel like every best villain should almost feel like he could be the good guy. Yeah, there's this, there's this sketch, funnily enough, and it's one of these things that made me realize this about the villains I like. Um, and it's two English guys who are basically pretending to be Nazi stormtroopers in World War II. And they go, um, so just... I just took off my hat and I've realized there's a skull and crossbones on it. Are we the bad guys? <laughs> <laughs> but it does make you realize like as far as they were concerned, like I'm not advocating the Nazis. Jeez. <laughs> How to lose not. listeners. No, no, no. Of course not. <laughs> How to lose fans. Um, <laughs> but it is those, it's the villains that think they're right. 
that they're doing the right thing. The ones that kind of go, ha I know I'm evil. It's just, it's too ridiculous. I can't yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah, it's yeah. like, like Doom, Dr. Doom wants to take over the planet because he thinks it will be better for it. And he's, based, he's and based on, a villain. and based on the, the country that he uh, governs over, the citizens there don't feel for him the way the rest of the world does. It's it's yeah. it's a wonderful dichotomy of is he right? Could he actually make it better? Because clearly, where the people where he is are better than the people that we're protecting. It's very strange. Yeah, yeah. it's an interesting idea, isn't it? And that's partly what makes him so interesting. And like Thanos is almost that. Yes. On a cosmic scale. Yes. Which is what makes him work. I and mean, like the, when you go one, I didn't include in the five was. You don't. T- you could technically not count it as a crossover, but it started in Strange Tales and it finished in Warlock, and it was the story where Jim Starlin started writing Warlock yes, yes. and introduced the Magus, Magus. How do you pronounce that word? Uh, I think some Magus? people say Magus and some people say Magus. Oh God, I do it completely differently. I, like <laughs> I blame the style. accent. <laughs> <laughs> I like your style. But they had um, Thanos was in that. But he joined forces with Thanos, and he was clearly a villain. Mm-hmm. In that period, yeah. all of a sudden he threw him in, and they're fighting together against a, an even worse evil somehow. Um, and it just made you go, "Wait a minute, what's this guy about?" Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. And that he, he fascinates me. He's always fascinated me as a character, and I think the only time he is, you know, true to that character is when it's when Jim Starlin writes him. I, I'm, I say it all the time. I, I, the Infinity Saga from Jim Starlin that just got collected. I love it because it. You, it's like you said. I know he's been used in other stories, but it's almost like they don't really count unless Jim Starlin's writing it because he yeah. he really tackles the somewhat cheesy epic cosmic scope of him that you need to have in order to buy it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's got to look like a toy that you are kind of you want to own but you're kind of scared of because you feel it'll come to life. <laughs> right? I've never heard it described in that I've way never before. thought of it like that before either, but but he he's got to look like the super superest villain of a video game. And yeah. but he he you end up when I read it and this is just my head going to those places is I've never thought of the difference between eternity and infinity before until this. Why? What, what is reality and actuality? And, and the, 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 you know, warlock and what he represents and what Thanos represents and how they almost have to team up with each other to stop each other. Uh-huh. I love it. But Jim Starlin. I need to read that properly. Yeah, I, again, I'm probably. I read half of it, and now I wish I'm, I carried on. Yeah, but see, if you didn't like what you were reading, you might not care. Like, I'm, it's just for, like, that's one of those guilty pleasures for me where I, I know other people may not care, but I just love Thanos. That's, I think, what it comes down to. It was the tipping point. It, I think it continued after Secret Wars, and that was when I uh, stopped. Okay. And it's one of those, it's one of the other ones I'm regretting not picking up and they did the omnibus recently and I, I so much other stuff was coming out and I thought okay something's got to go and it went and I'm still kicking myself and it, it almost doesn't matter if I don't like it as much as any past stuff it's Jim Starlin on Thanos Alan yes, Davis please. Jim and Starlin, Alan Davis, Alan Davis oh. and Ron Lim like 
you're gonna get what you're gonna get what you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not one of those moments where it's like ah, they tried to go home again and they couldn't. Yeah. I, that's how that's I cool. felt. So yeah, it's, it's like, I, Infinity Gauntlet. I think that's a great pick. Yeah, that's but that's the thing. in terms of an actual crossover. You want to be really strict about it. Most of the tie-ins are bad. They just aren't great. Uh, the Doctor Strange ones are pretty awful. The art's not great. Okay. Um, but it does have the Incredible Hulk stuff by Peter David, and that was the one that has that confrontation between the Tiny Hulk and the Abomination, which is my one of my favorite comics, single issues of all time. Cool. Um, Cause it's just such a, there is a such a sweet moment at the end. It's that, that last page when you realized that maybe they knew a bit more than they were letting on about each other. And you'd, it gave me the tingles. Wow. And um, that's the first time I think a comic did that. And I think probably that question I never got around to answering last time, which is what made you realize you, what, when was the moment you realized you loved comics? I think it was, Hulk, what's it, 384, I think? And it's such an odd one to choose, but that was the moment. It it made me feel so incredibly sad for the abomination. He's not just some dude that looks beastly and he wants to prove that he's stronger than the Hulk. There was something more to him, and, and it you feel genuinely sad for him. And and then the Hulk, you realize the Hulk feels genuinely sad. And it's it's such it wasn't what I was expecting from what is in inverted commas a superhero comic. Yeah, and that's that's probably the moment when I realized I love comics. So the, that's part of the Infinity Gauntlet. So how can it not be in the top five? Yeah, it has to be. Good pick. I approve. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number number four. Number four is. Now, again, I'm conscious I keep referencing last time. Um, So for context, you mentioned that you like when I do the nostalgia rating. Yes. um, When I do certain reviews for old school Marvel stuff. Yes. So Acts of Vengeance for me gets like a four-star nostalgia rating. I know it's probably in some ways, it's like it's not as good as Infinity Gauntlet. But for me, it's just pure pleasure because it was my first crossover. So there is that pure nostalgia with it. It's not even that great. It's not particularly well put together, but it reminds me of being 12. And Acts of Vengeance, if my memory serves, is the one where the villains switch who their, who, who their foes are to try to take each other's foes out. Okay. I've read yeah. quite a bit of the um, tie-ins that get collected in epic collections or whatnot where you realize, okay, I know what this is about, where this comes from. But I never read the whole event. I wouldn't even necessarily recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> Your number four, um, I do not recommend. <laughs> it's, it's my number four. I don't recommend it. But I've had countless conversations with people mm-hmm. who loved it. Probably, probably started reading the same time as me. That's my nostalgia pick. Um, I do. I love it. But I also acknowledge that it's kind of not the best there is. But, but that, I had to put it in there. Yeah, but that's fair though. I think you. I think there's there's something to be said about recognizing like, okay, it might not be critically acclaimed, but it might be better than stuff that's critically acclaimed because it is yeah. what it's supposed to be. It, it won't win the Oscar, but no one's gonna watch, you know, Out of Africa as often as they're gonna watch Back to the Future. 
<laughs> and there it goes with my last true. episode of right and and certain all those out of africa fans dropping off now yeah right so it's it's yeah it's, it's okay i mean i'd rather watch probably the first thor marvel movie than i don't know 1999's oscar winner which i don't know what it was <laughs> right I, and i could be I, wrong is that with the shawshank redemption it was good and i liked it would i rather watch gross point blank yeah Gross Point Blank generally gets about three stars in most reviews. Right. I love it. And it and also does take me back to that certain point in my life. Exactly. When I thought John Cusack was so cool in that film. He probably wasn't that cool. To me, he was cool. It changed how I dressed. Like I dressed for work like a hitman <laughs> after watching that film. I loved him. He's just so <laughs> awkward in it. And it's I, I really loved it. And it's got an almost like a made-for-TV childlike quality to it. And yeah. I, I don't know. Something about it really appealed to me, but yeah. like, I know, counts, I know Shawshank's though. great. But that counts though. To know, it, it, it means something to you. So even if people, we always yeah. try to justify like, ah, it's not that good. But no, it's good. If if you feel that it's that good, it is. That nostalgia rating for me means as much as the real rating. At the same time, don't expect anything great if you do really. <laughs> well, you, you do get some John Byrne stuff in there. Yeah, it was his. It was his brainchild, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll I'll read it one day. Cause I'm just and then be horrified. Yeah, that Go, was what is this guy? Four. <laughs> but, like better than Infinity Gold. Yeah. <laughs> uh, your number yeah, three. Number three is surprisingly Secret Wars. Why surprisingly? That's, that's because people. from a nostalgia point of view. A part of me wanted to make that number one just because I like I got the box set. I have to have that. Anything with Secret Wars makes me go, "Where's the Secret Wars?" Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. Scooby Doo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just it that is pure nostalgia in a way than Acts of Vengeance. It is actually way pure, and it is it is again probably a nostalgia thing. And I'll quite happily read those twelve issues again now. You know, are you going away for a weekend? You can only take that book. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. It's not the best. Again, I'm kind of saying that line again, but it's, you know, it's it's not perfect. It's got Mike Zek artwork, so thanks very much. I'll take that. Um, Jim Shooter's writing isn't brilliant. Wolverine's very out of character. I could tell you everything that's wrong with it, but what's right with it is it, it feels like there's consequence. Right. And there was. Right. They right. designed it to have consequence. And it was one of the it's the first recognized Marvel crossover. There were crossovers before, as listed on the uh, Marvel <laughs> Comics Code website. Thank you very much. Slate <laughs> <laughs> plug. Um, yeah, th- they've been going on for years. And I think people think Secret Wars is the beginning. And that, you know, I, I did have a line on there at one point was if you love Secret Wars, you've, if you love crossovers, you have Secret Wars to thank. If you hate Secret Wars, if you hate crossovers, you've got Secret Wars to blame. But it's not really true. They've been going on for years. Six, there was crossovers in the 60s. There were cross big events in the 70s. Um, but it wasn't a banner thing. Yeah, and, and like with, with Secret thing. Wars, they led into it. They kind of did it back to front. So they led into the first issue the month before in the in the, the titles where the, the characters made that jump to um, to Battleworld. Um, and then, unfortunately, the month that number one came out, they showed them all coming home. So you kind of knew what was going there. 
it didn't read that way for me because I got the reprint, so I didn't right. know what happened when I came home. So that was fine. Um, but for a lot of people, it did. So people saw the black costume before he got the black costume. Right. And that must have been, I don't know, is it jarring? It's just, you know, certain things are going to happen. So they should have done it the other way around, I think. It was, it, they, they didn't care. I think today's uh, publishing style is everything's, we've got to delay whatever is supposed to happen because this book's not on time. Like I think it was yeah. with Civil War Two or something like that. It just really felt like a disruption in the line. Um, and it was because they were, they were behind. And it just kind of took away the steam of whatever it was you wanted to do, right? But it, it, uh-huh. it, then you feel the universe affected by it enough. You're like, I guess that happened. They should have just told the story because back in, like you said, the, the Secret Wars, it was just exciting. Right? Yeah. It was something happened. I want to know what happened. Yeah. It was spoiled, but we wanted to know what. Yeah. I think that's the thing. I mean, ultimately, you know, people aren't really going to die. Because by then you've kind of figured, okay, this is a franchise or whatever you would have called it in 1984. Um, there was a bit of confusion about Doctor Doom being alive because he'd just been killed off in Fantastic Four. So what's going on there? But we didn't get the answer to that until Secret Wars 2. And I, as much as I've got a soft spot for Secret Wars 2, I do recognize that, yeah, it's, it's odd. <laughs> and it's a tough one to recommend. <laughs> I, I, I probably just wouldn't, but... Even nostalgia rating would probably be about three, but for most people, <laughs> that you know would get a one. Um, I, just, I love Secret Wars. It just it, it makes me feel like a kid. It, it, it reminds me of that excitement. It reminds me of like getting the figures. I got the figures because we got eight of them over here. Um, and that's what it, it was, was designed cool. for, right? It was it was yeah. a tor- toy commercial essentially. Very yeah. cool way to, to go Basically. about it. You know, I've never read Secret Wars. I own it, and I'm going to read it because I like that. Story. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to read it. I own it, and, and I've always wanted to read it, but it's one of those breeds where I feel like um, I want to be on vacation. I want to feel just happiness all around me reading this fun blockbuster comic book. Like I, it's a good way to say it. Yeah. Sometimes there's, there's books like that. When, when I read them in the right space, you love it for what it's meant to be. Instead uh-huh. of loving it for what you want it to be or what it isn't anymore. Yeah. Right. I think that's, that's the danger of, of, of any list. He says while listing things is it was when people go, what this is meant to be. Cause that, normally secret wars does make it into the top 10. I think, um, I think it's, in, I, it's important. It's, in, it had, like you said, consequences, yeah. things changed because of it. That, that's what make crossovers matter. They still, it still counts now. Right. You know, so the stuff that happens still like Venom exists. Right. As one thing. Right. Um, but there was tons more. Like I could dip back into the Fallout thing on the website just because it's it's a long list of Fallout from Secret Wars. A lot of stuff happened because of it, um, and that's why it worked. And it's funny because it, they didn't use that model enough. So when you, especially when you hit the nineties, they go, "We have to have an event. Why? To sell stuff." Uh, okay. What's the fallout? It <laughs> doesn't matter. As long as we sell these X-Men books, then great. Right. What's the reveal? Is there a thing? Is there a hook? Is there a reason? Yeah, something to do with Cable. Okay. Are we going to reveal his connection to anyone? No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, come on. It just, there's no meat. 
There's no full, and you're making me read 14 chapters of, for an event, and it's over, and I don't, I'm still going, so is Cable their kid or not? Like, Keep reading, keep reading. Keep reading. Yeah, and I but think... Secret Wars gave us something. Right, least. right. It's funny because the reason why I like old X-Men comics from the 80s and the 90s is the same reason that I'm hesitant to read X-Men today. Like, I haven't read any of the Hickman stuff after House of X and Power of Ten. And I had just recently uh, listened to my friend Adam Chapman's episode um, where him and him and his uh, friends, his brother-in-law and one of his best friends, get into the 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 book, the event, House of X, speaking of crossovers, and then sort of the fallout and the things that come of it. And... As much as I loved House of X, I wasn't sure if I wanted to read this this series because it just felt like, I don't know, Jonathan Hickman comics feel like a chore. <laughs> and I don't know if I want to read five X-Men related books in order to understand what uh, Swords of Ten are and collect yeah. 25 of those issues to get that. It's just, I, I don't want the reading to be a chore to catch up with it. And and I think going back to what you were saying, the reason I say all this is is going to do these X-Men events. Do these X-Men events, you know? Are we going to do anything with it? Uh, put a funny cover on it with a with a trading card. <laughs> That's good, you know. And I know the stories when collected and looked back at it, you you I feel differently about them than what their reputation is, but yeah. That's what it became. Mm. I mean, the, the one I was, you, you probably, you know, you can tell, but the, the one I was referencing, just for anyone who's not sure, is um, Executioner's song. Yeah. And the whole point of that was, we're going to reveal who Cable is. We're going to do this. Here's your trading card. Right, great, thanks. <laughs> what am I going to do with this? Um, <laughs> Bookmark. Yeah. <laughs> I think I actually still have that somewhere in a, in a little bag in one of these cupboards. Um but yeah, and then they got to the end, and they they'd still only hinted at it. Like it just feels like a tease. I was that close to reading the Excalibur series, though the the post House of X Excalibur series, because I had such good things. I thought, okay, well at least it's standalone. And then they mentioned Swords of X Ten, whatever, <laughs> and I just I'm like, nope, nope. I'm done. But it's funny because I used to be one of those people that would go, look, I know there's a crossover coming up, but it's fine. It all makes sense. You can just buy your one title and, yeah. and then maybe get the crossover. Yeah, sure. And it, it seemed okay. But now I'm looking at it from the outside, looking in, going, no, that sounds like it's just a drag. <laughs> yeah. I want a beginning, middle and end, please. Yeah. And and when there's these... Um the like did you read hickman's avengers i think you said you did i did yeah yeah and you don't look like you were happy about it i just no, i was bored yeah and i don't know if that'll be the i i enjoyed i enjoyed it as it um especially when you see like what's happening outside of this epic story he's trying to tell where you're not really sure what are you trying to do what 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 is this all about the illuminati side of it was really cool and mm. the you know the build up to what becomes that secret war. Funny you mentioned secret war, but like that build up was was cool. The incursions and that stuff. But um, I don't know if I want to go through that with the X Men. I don't know. Just feels like a big undertaking, and I don't I I I don't feel compelled. 
Yeah. With X-Men, it's always that extra level of commitment. Um, at least with Avengers, you've just got the two titles in theory. Yeah. They introduced Avengers World, but okay, three, that's not so bad. And then they're going, okay, these are the new Hickman themed X-Men books. There's X-Men, there's Uncanny X-Men's back. New Mutants, okay, great. Here's some more. Have some more. Well, but that's it. Okay, a couple of months later, here's another one. And yeah. some, another four. Like, no, no, I'm out. <laughs> You've lost yeah. me. And that's exactly how they did it in the 90s. And that was why we were in trouble. So we've learned nothing. <laughs> See, I enjoy reading back in collected versions where, okay, you've mapped it out in some type of way where I can f- know where I need to read what and what order. That part of it now I enjoy the X-Men collections for. But had I been, like, there was no way as a kid I could have kept up with X-Men. That's why I didn't. I knew they were the cool team. They were the it thing. They were the cool cartoon. Wolverine was better than everything. I was just too much. So was my stomach. I don't have that picture. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies. It's always chipping in. <laughs> that was funny. I'm like, what is that? You say, like, oh, my stomach. <laughs> um, Shut up. Yeah, no, Secret Wars, I'm definitely going to get around to reading. And, and I'll be interested to see what you think. To be honest, I'll I'm probably, really intrigued to see what you think. I'll probably love it. I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah I probably will because I I can eliminate the. I, I get into the what's the word, um, allowing myself the disbelief. I what's that term uh, they use? Suspension of disbelief. Sus- suspension of disbelief. I can really do that, and yeah. love something that is ridiculous. I think the the more pretentious something gets, like with I think that's where I struggle with some Hickman stuff. His Fantastic Four was brilliant. Um, Secret Warriors was good fun. Mm-hmm. Um, got a little bit pretentious towards the end, but it was still, I liked it. Um, but the, the more pretentious he got with his Avengers, the more I struggle with suspension of disbelief. It's, it's just like, you, you're trying to make this too legit. Yeah. You're trying to make it, you're trying to add weight to it by being super smart. And actually, you're, you're slightly boring me. And yes, You've, you've lost me. I don't care now. <laughs> I want. I just want some fun, man. I want fun Avengers stories, please. And I feel like that is kind of in in, in a in a writer of that celebrity. I guess is the better way to put it. I feel like Jeff Johns doesn't do that, even with his high concept sort of thing. I don't know if he ever gets too full of himself. He's like, this is the Flash. His villains are so silly that they're great. And we're going to make them look silly because they're so cool. And he goes along with the whole thing. And you feel like, wow, the Flash is silly and so fun and so full of heart. And then, like you said, Green Lantern is so ridiculous. He's basically made the Infinity Gauntlet with the, you know, the Blackest Night story. Uh The collecting of all of the the different will... Like... And it's, it has its moments that hit you, but it never takes itself too... He never takes himself too seriously. I could be wrong. And I feel like you're right. Hickman does get to that point to make it too legit. Yeah. yeah. But you, you know what this is. You know what this is. And you know where it comes from. Like Jeff Johns, I think, like he accepts completely that these are of a certain time. Yeah. So don't, let's not pretend they're not. In nothing I've read anyway. I've never, he's never struck me as being 
pretentious. And like, I saw there was a, a snippet of a TV interview I saw with him on YouTube where he just said these characters are meant to be about hope. It's, it's that simple. You know, like with Marvel's the underdog, DC's the, the hope, apart from Batman to a degree. But for the most part, like, and that was one of the things I, I didn't really get. I didn't have that kind of outlook. I was always quite cynical. Mm. And I think when I, um, when my wife became pregnant, that was around the period of time when I started to change things and I wanted a bit more hope and a bit less cynicism in my life. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So was, I can, I can, looking back, I can understand why I wanted to make that change. I just want a bit more positivity, please. It'd be <laughs> nice if things worked out well, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and the, yeah, just reading through his, his flash now, we're going on a tangent, but reading through his flash now, um, in its completion, I've I read large chunks of it before, but never right to the end. I'm almost I'm halfway through the second volume, Omnibus, and there's quite big stakes, and you really have the heartstrings pulled, but you are never not having fun. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that's that's great. I, that's why I love his stuff because I'm o- I, I get emotional, but I'm always having fun. Yeah. That's like from from what I have, I'm desperate to read that flash run. I'm desperate, but I'm sticking to my guns on this chronology business. <laughs> 1998, man, <laughs> nearly there. Oh, that'll be interesting. That you didn't don't read the Superman stuff before that. The Electric Blue. <sighs> oh, it's okay. you could have said you could have told me that earlier. Oh, <laughs> I literally that. just stopped reading through Millennium Giants and just went. I, I've done. I've come so far. And I thought, you haven't got long, it's painful, but come on. And I just felt like, I'm not having fun anymore. Please just stop. Stop hurting yourself. <laughs> yeah, it was, that was a, a, um, a nostalgia for me, but I don't know if I could ever read it again. Yeah. I, I, I mean, the thing with the electric thing as well, again, I know we're bringing off, but the thing with the, with the electric, there's a lot of people going, well, yeah, that's not Superman in terms of a power set. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I think the problem I have with it is that it's just a lot of it is just really dated writing. Um, so regardless of what his power set is, it's just not, they're not great comics. It's, it's too silly. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think they just, it, there was a, some stuff can age well and be of its time, even though it, it, you recognize that it's of its time. And then there's other stuff where it's like, ah, this was a, a lull during this long stretch of them, it's almost like they're exhausting themselves and you start yeah. to feel it a little bit. Yeah. Um, what they should have done was just pare down those titles, two books, two books a month. Yeah. That's no. Enough. Yeah. But God forbid they didn't have one every week. Right. You know, you're right. <laughs> there was a time where I felt that the weekly, the four titles that you were getting, you know, concurrently, I thought that that it was a very good time for Superman as a character where you had good writers, good artists, a good editorial that was making the story count with even the ancillary characters becoming something. I felt that it was a much stronger book than sometimes it gets credit for because it was always weaving through adventures and Superman back to action. Like it wasn't just one title. Uh Uh-huh. But I felt it was as good of as any comic during that time that it doesn't get enough recognition. I when feel. is that? <laughs> well, I think post-crisis and then when John Byrne leaves and really kind of makes the next group of writers clean up 
whatever he decided to do. I don't know if you've read that far. You probably have. I, yeah, I, I've read the John Byrne period, and then I've dipped in and out. You, I think from from what you've posted, you've read uh, you've read what I'm referring to, but it's during that exile time. Yeah, I thought that was a lot of fun. I thought it was it yeah. was. The characters that stayed in Metropolis while Superman disappeared, there were consequences and, and relationship buildup. And then while Superman was away, it was kind of like a Planet Hulk sort of storyline that was expanding on this new uh, Kryptonian heritage. They were just doing some really interesting ideas and working with what John Byrne left behind. You know, you yeah. had Roger Stern and George Perez came around at that time. Jerry Yordway was really learning to be a, a better writer. Like, it was just a good time. And then for me, it's it's my childhood. Oh, there's my dog. She's getting into the camera. I don't know if you can see it. Hello, this is the second you. interview I've done today with a dog jumping in. Yeah. It's like the right, theme of the day. Right into it. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyways, we're talking about your list. Your number two crossover. We have two left. So yeah. my number two is not a huge event, okay. but it is a crossover. Okay. Uh, Craven's Last Hunt. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. It's my favorite Spider-Man story. I think a lot of people's favorite Spider-Man story. And, you yeah. know, it escapes me, but the I guess the spiritual sequel to it, I can't remember the name, The Child's cr- Children's Crusade. It was in Spectacular Spider-Man. Oh, oh, do you know what? I've never, I haven't read that. I've, I read Soul of the Hunter, which I barely remember. Oh, it, it's it's more of a story about vermin than it is about yeah. about uh, um, Craven. I don't even think it's about Craven at all. I think you're right. It's about vermin. Yeah, I yeah. just I just can't. It's, I don't think I actually read those issues because that's when I dipped out of Spider-Man for a while in the nineties. It's going to bother me. I have to look it up because. <laughs> J.M. DeMatteis is uh, one of my favorite writers in comics, period. And to not know what this is, and I know my friend Adam Chapman is freaking out right now, yelling at the speaker. <laughs> it's going to bother me. But let's continue. You, you, you continue talking about Craven's Last Hunt. <laughs> so, I mean, in terms of recommendation, I've got to say first that if, it's your f- if you've never read Spider-Man before, don't read Craven's Last Hunt first. It's right. so, it's the opposite of what you'd expect of a Spider-Man story just because it is so incredibly dark. That um, That's what I love about it. It's, it's the complete antithesis of the characters. So he puts him in such a, God, it's, it, it, dark, it is just dark. It's a dark story. So he's got this ridiculous villain, Craven, who's a dude with a gun, with a lion chest, not like a like a lion motif on his chest, who just hunts animals and then no, nope, I'm gonna hunt Spider Man. And he's just done that for years. Which is weird. Like, what was he doing between those times when he wasn't hunting Spider Man? Was he in prison? Like was was he <laughs> what was he doing? He did hunt Tiger a couple of times. Um Yeah, it's such an odd character. So I think they had got to a point where there wasn't an awful lot more you could do with him. So they have him succeed. He he wins. He traps Spider Man and he shoots him and he buries him. And that's just that image of the grave and him stood over the grave and then him laughing and then he. It's like there, there's that film, The Fan. I think I'm pretty sure it's that film where they kind of say like that the way if you're a true fan, the only way you can become 
what you need to do is become the person. You don't just follow that person or worship them. You have to become them. And that's kind of what he does. So he just takes his place. And this, and, on, and that underlying thing of Bermin, this rat dude from a pretty obscure um, Captain America story, and he was, he was powered by Baron Zemo, turned into a kind of a rat guy. It just sounds ridiculous, but it just works. So, like, Craven's trying to then hunt Vermin as Spider-Man, and so many bizarre things happen in this story. But it's like, and like he's Peter's just got married to Mary Jane, and they come back from the honeymoon, and he's gone missing, and he's you realise that he's buried for weeks. It's, it's just so twisted, and it's just and originally it was going to be a Batman story, and they actually re- DC rejected it. I think on the basis that it was too dark. It's yeah. I, oh, my memory is is making me very upset today because I've <laughs> no. had I've had Jam DeMatteis on the show three times because I I just adore his work, and I think I had asked him if Craven's Last Hunt was in fact if the, what you just mentioned was true, and he he clarified it for me. And I don't think it was meant to be a Batman story necessarily. I think it was something that that could have been. But there was another Mm. character that I was surprised that he mentioned was where he thought he would go with it. And I wish I knew what it was now. And it's bothering me. (laughs) And the vermin story. That's the other one that is the child within. Oh, thank God. Oh, the child within. I was, I was going to try and help you out there, but you Children's Crusade is Avengers. Yeah, that's the Avengers. Avengers one, isn't it? Yeah, the child within is incredible. Like, when I, I've, I've spoken, I've been privileged enough to speak to a few Spider Man writers and artists, and I've always liked to ask them, um, who they who they think has a better rogues gallery between Batman and Spider-Man like to see their take and who their favorite Spider-Man creator is outside of Stanley yeah and i think so far they've they've mostly said James DeMatteis was their favorite Spider-Man writer outside of Stanley and this was from Tom DeFalco ah uh who was an editor at that. He had edited Roger Stern and, yeah. you know, gone through some great writers. He's worked with some great Spider-Man. He said James DeMatteis was his favorite. I th- and I think maybe Jerry Conway might have said the same thing. Wow. I think. I could be mistaken. But It's I was, funny because I wouldn't... Sorry. Yeah, no. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was purely going to say, it's, it's funny. It's one of those things, but even though it... It is my favorite story. I wouldn't necessarily wouldn't necessarily spring to mind that he's to even consider him as one of the, my favorite writers. And I don't know why. I can't explain it. I think it's because he's he's done it in bits. He's not. I mean, I think he was on Spectacular for a, a fair while. Yeah, yeah, he did. Um, but I dropped that series just because I struggle with Sal Buscema's artwork. Oh, okay. Um, and it, and it was the '90s thing, and that's when I was dropping books gradually and ended up just reading X-Men and then dropped X-Men and went and drank a lot <laughs> <laughs> for a year or two year. No, it was a year. Oh, that's too bad because I, it's a very fair reason to 
not be able to to enjoy a book if if the artist doesn't work for you because I feel for me based on him working with Jerry Conway and then after Jerry Conway he worked with James DeMatteis for I think two years straight on the title and during that time I think The Child Within and The Goblin's Last Stand were amazing stories for Spider-Man that had so much heart so much psychology Buscema's, there was one issue where the last, it was the, the spoilers, um, <laughs> Harry Osborn dies in battle and he's coming to, and it's just a silent scene where you know exactly what happened based on, you know, uh, Spider-Man's body language and his just body positioning and the way he holds Harry's hand and just the look that they give each other. It's, it's incredible. But if I you, need to it, read those. yeah, and it's never been collected yet in a way that is, you know, why hasn't this been put together in some capacity? Because it, it almost tells an arc of a story. Mm. And yeah, it's, it's in a way, I think the child within could arguably be better than Craven's Last Hunt. <gasps> yeah. <What>? Yeah. <laughs> Only it's kind. Of, you know what I I compared it to, because Craven's Last Hunt is a Craven story, and Vermin's yeah. featured in it heavily. And then, the Child Within, really digs into this nondescript character of Vermin that seems like a throwaway, and you realize, oh, well, that was that. That's what that was about. That's why that meant so much at that time. Mm-hmm. It's like a. It's like the Godfather and Godfather 2 with with those two characters that were involved in the same story. It's very right. interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I, I could be overselling again, but I love that book. I, lo- I love that era of Spider-Man. Yeah. I'm so happy I remember. I think it. they... What was that? Mm. Pardon me. I just took a drink of water. I'm so happy I remember the title, the series. <laughs> well done. Yeah. You beat me. I, I literally couldn't. I couldn't for the life of me because I totally dipped out then. I, I was. I was going to see. I'll, I'll check later. Why am I doing it now? I, I think they might have added them to Marvel Unlimited. Okay. Um. So I'll add them to my reading list. Actually. I hope you like. Yeah. Them. Why not? Yeah. I, I hope. I hope they they hit you differently now. I think they will. And that's one of the things that's one of the benefits of going back and reading these old stories, whether I read them back then or not, is uh, just looking at it from a different point of view. Because what was I, 19, what that, that was about 1992-ish, 93. I was still in my teens. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to think I've changed a bit. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. You like hope Hello. now. Yeah, you're hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hopeful now. I wasn't then. <laughs> Miserable git. Yeah, Cra- I, I took away all of your steam talking about Craven's Last Hunt. That's a great pick. <laughs> but no. But, uh, the Child Within is not better than Acts of Vengeance, though, right? Don't, go, don't no, start. No, no. <laughs> definitely not. I, if I, the Child Within is not better than The Clone War. I never got it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what, what's your number one so my number one um which slightly flies in the face of something that was being said earlier is and it's the most obvious thing but as a crossover to me and how you do a crossover done right 
in the modern age, um, Civil War. That is. I absolutely loved it. That's. um, I think it, it. It. You'd be hard pressed to argue the the validity of that answer in regards to the cause and effect that it had the um how it brought certain characters to center stage that may not have ever been there before like iron man i don't know if iron man had ever been in that position prior to where he him and cap were the centerpieces of that story and you would always think it's it would be you know spider-man or some you know a-list x-men character yeah. Iron Man's B-list character. He, yeah, he is. Yeah, and I and I don't know if Cap wasn't either. He kind of was a little bit too for a bit. I think if you I got re- he... relegated to the Heroes Reborn era, you you had fallen <laughs> to the B team in a way. I said uh, that I don't mean to be mean, but the Avengers, the Avengers weren't. It took a while for them to become what they are today. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, the moment really was New Avengers. When, when New Avengers, when they relaunched with New Avengers, Cap and Iron Man were the only two that kind of carried over. True. But at, at that True. point as well, like Brubaker had started on Cap. Yeah. So he brought Cap out of the bad That's period. True. Really. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. we had we had Mark Wade a good period of Mark Wade in the nineties. Um, God, was there another good period? Not really. It didn't really get good again until Brubaker. I don't and then, but right. even then, Iron Man, great Iron Man stories. I've always struggled. Uh, the, the, I'm, I'm not big I, into Iron Man. I'm partial to Kurt Busiek as a writer. I like his Avengers. Like to me, that's classic comic book stuff. That like when I want superheroes, he's one of those guys that for me gets it and does what I, you know, him and George Perez is just a dream come true. Uh, so his Iron Man was fun, but it's, it's the Iron Man of the comics. Whereas later when you get to Iron Man, the movie, you're getting Robert Downey Jr. All the time. Completely. Right. Instead of Tony Stark. So he, he changed as a character. Yeah. Because of the portrayal, which was Mm -hmm. a good portrayal of Tony Stark. Funny enough. Like in it, for Robert he became Downey. a more interesting character. Right, right. Yes, exactly. It paid off. It was it was the smart move. It made sense. He was more interesting. I cared for the first time. I didn't necessarily like him, but you don't have to like every character. Like I don't like Matt Murdock. I don't. He's a like there was that. Um, Brian Bendis did it. A guide for the next writer picking up Daredevil after he left. That's like these are the things you need to remember while writing Daredevil, and one of them was he's a prick. He's like he's just not a nice person, Matt Murdock. He's arrogant. He thinks he knows everything. He's he's not someone you want to be friends with. Um, but that's partly what makes him interesting. And Tony Stark's kind of similar. He is arrogant. He does think he knows better than everybody else. But he's rich, which makes him harder to like. Right. So Matt, Matt Murdock's a lawyer, which also makes him hard to like, you could argue as well. At least he's poor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Most of the time, right? Yeah, no, I think like, Tony Stark is the most DC Marvel character there is. I was used to feel like, because he is the playboy who uses his tech to become 
That's what I said to my wife because she loves Batman and she doesn't like Tony Stark because he's a dick. And I go, he's Bruce Wayne. <laughs> Essentially. Like, he's the yeah. smartest guy in the room. He's got a contingency plan for everything. There's nothing he can't build, which is such BS. But whatever. It's Iron Man or it's Batman. I go, they're the same. And she's, no, no, it's not the same. This guy trained. This guy, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I see you what you mean. I see what you mean. There's not that empathy as well, I think, for Batman. Even even though I think, like, okay, what happened to you as a kid is awful and you should probably have figured a way to get around it and get over it that isn't punching poor people. But with Tony Stark, oh, there are still similarities there, but right. he's still just a rich guy that has a lot of models around him. And it's, they're not a ruse. He has a lot of models around him all the time. Like... And that mustache and the perm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he's he's an unlikable guy. But when it's 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 the story with like the when you dig deep into them, that's where you get the. That's the beauty of these of reading these um, serialized stories is that you get enough time to get to that Hulk moment, like you were mentioning before, where you get into a character and it's like, oh, I didn't know that I could feel this way. Yeah, but it took this long, and that's life. I, like that's the beauty of life. Like, oh, now I get why that guy's an asshole. Yet, <laughs> like, I'm not as mad about it now, even though I am mad about it. I, I'm there's <laughs> empathy at the very least. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. It's funny, or, or, or they. I think that was one of the benefits as well of Civil War, even though there were a few people that were acting out of character. They just they were. Reed Richards did some stuff that contradicted other storylines but actually funny enough acts of vengeance so they had a completely very similar setup where the fantastic four went to washington to basically try and come talk them out of, of to talk them out of um like a registration right right and that right. was that was 1989 1990 kind of around that period and then you hit the modern age admittedly okay yeah people can change and motivation can can change but there's a story in in there where he says this is something I saw about my uncle, so it's something I feel very deeply. And you go, you do remember that time, Reed, when <laughs> when you went to Washington? Yeah, yeah. No, no, okay. But yeah, I mean, it's the way they weaved in the history, and part of it as well was just throwing in these obscure characters, and and not just going here some obscure characters, but trying to build on them and give them like if they had Gamecock. Oh no, what was he? he wasn't called Gamecock, which is the most dubious name for anyone. Um, was he called Gamecock? <laughs> or Bantam? I think it was Bantam. So he was introduced in a, a, I think, 1992-93 annual when they introduced a load of new characters and none of them took off, apart from maybe one, which I think was Janice Bell. Oh, yes, that's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, Bantam, who was a dude that dresses like a chicken and has boxing gloves, he was one of them. And he never saw him again, really. And then he appeared in Civil War and they... They were able to do stuff for these characters. They could kill characters off. They could put them through horrific situations. And everyone's got this motivation. Like they, but again, it's they believe they're right. And it's that's what was nice about it. And people switch sides. And and then like you've got this whole. It doesn't feel necessarily like someone's going. I want in on that. I want in on that civil war money. Then I'm going to make my series part of civil war. There are a couple where you go. Yeah, you are. But for the most part, they had a, everyone had a reason to be there. It affected the whole universe. 
the whole Marvel universe widespread, and it made sense that it affected them widespread. It wasn't just one guy from beyond who was traveling around visiting every character for no apparent reason. It was something that was happening to America at the time. And then the fallout could be felt afterwards in Canada when villains are escaping to Canada and some heroes are escaping to Canada to avoid registration. So and that's when you hit that fallout, and that's where you get Omega Flight from. And that's where the Mighty Avengers suddenly, because they were the, the, the legit Avengers, and then you had the new Avengers who were kind of outlaws. So like, in terms of fallout, it, it mattered. So we had the initiative from that, and then that built towards Secret Invasion, which gave us Dark Reign, which then built to see... It, that was the moment, I think, White House of M having that key moment where they took away the powers. I think you could tell from Avengers Disassembled leads into New Avengers, but you don't have to pick much else up. Pick up House of M so it makes some of your New Avengers titles make sense. Okay. And then you go to Civil War and you go, you've got big plans. You've got some big plans. This has been thought through. And the Hulk not being on the planet you realize story-wise why they did it. And, and that was what was exciting about that period of time. There was a part of that is nostalgia, but it's how you do it right. I think they did it right because they thought about it. They thought of the impact on certain characters and what their beliefs are. and They would tear certain teams apart. And that's what this is about. It's about the characters. It's not necessarily about, you know, when I, when I post a picture, it's, quite, it's, it's cool. People want to know who want to fight. I don't care. I want to know what the outcome was. I want to know what the, their emotional fallout is from the events that are happening around them. And that's what Civil War did. DA, you got your fights because it's superhero comics. It's about punching people in the face while wearing bright colours. Um, you could do that in an 80s disco. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, about the, it's about the characters and who they are and how it affects them. Yeah, yeah, no, I remember the the reverberations of that whole era of comics, and I think that Civil War was the linchpin of it all. I remember going, that's when I got back into collecting comics regularly, and I wasn't, I was scared of Civil War because I saw it on everything. Yeah. It was Spider-Man, it was, there was a Wolverine, there was a... Everyone, like, where do you read this Civil War? Every You got all of this? It just seemed overwhelming. And then, of course, there was the monthly, the event that it was. And yeah. you just, I, I, I was, but I would go places. I'd go into an ice cream shop or I'd go to some store and somebody behind the, the counter was reading Civil War. Really? Yeah, it was, it just, like, it for me, I'm like, man, I, I, I'm going to the comic shop. I know what that is. This is, a, this thing's a big deal. I know it's a big deal. I didn't know what it was happening at the time because I was um, sticking to DC. It was just easier for me to make sense of it. And I think Infinite Crisis had just finished. So I, it just felt like all of comicdom was going through these universe-changing events. Yeah, and it was a great jumping-on point for both companies, because right after Civil War, you got uh, J. Michael Straczynski putting Spider-Man into the black suit again, and you yeah. knew why he was in the black suit. Like you mm -hmm. said, the, the fallout of it is he's on the run, he's hiding, he is a fugitive or a you know, um, an outlaw. Yeah, right. So great, re so great reason to put him back in the black suit. I want to know. Unfortunately, you get one more day, but 
<laughs> Moving on. Now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, it was. You're right. And then of course with Cap and and just how that event, how um, I I go back to these like tangents about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't know how you feel about it. Uh, you you had mentioned you're not like the biggest fan, like some of us are. But I am impressed at how they take major comic book events or moments and they've weaved them into a way to, to allow characters to exist and to have certain motivations. Like with the Infinity Gauntlet or with Thanos Quest perhaps, but also how those characters get there via... Um, I, felt, I, I kind of felt it was the Kurt Busiek Ultron story that they kind of pulled from. They did, yeah, Ultron Unlimited. Uh, yeah, so they took Ultron yeah. Unlimited to introduce Wanda and and uh, the Vision and Pietro or Quicksilver, but then Civil War to show you what happens to those characters next and mm-hmm. why there would be a split when they get to Infinity War. Like it was – but it's these events, right? These crossover yeah. events that allowed these these things to exist that way. I think what they did, what they have done right, and what I did like, I, mean, I, I really like Captain America Civil War. Um, it was, I just thought it was really exciting. And I, I got what they were trying to do. And even that bit where they reenact that cover, and you go, oh, okay, you got me, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's nice. It's a nice little touch. Sometimes if someone does something like that, and you go, oh, this is a bit shoehorned in for five people <laughs> compared to the whole audience who don't read comics. Um, especially more over here but um yeah i think they got it and they they figured out smart ways to to reference it and adapt these stories the right way and give it a thread and one of the things they clearly learned even even the way that they used the um post credits almost like the last page of the comic so yeah you've got your complete story but this is your last page that makes you pick up the next story arc you know that's what they're, they're that's how they are emulating the theme of comics. That's why. You know, then I still don't like this comic book movie term. It's not a comic book movie. It's a film or a movie. However, whatever you want to call it. Comics are a very different medium, but they have followed a lot of the ethos of it. And, and the stuff that they've done right is the stuff they've clearly gone. Okay. This is how they did it here. They've given it a direction and, and they emulated that and they emulated it well. Yeah. I don't know how they're going to follow this through on phase three. I'm, I'm intrigued. Um, Which phase yeah. are we in? Are we in phase three or four? Four. Sorry, my mistake. I don't know. Phase four. I, if someone said we're in phase six, yeah. I would say, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know at this point. Because it's been 12. Oh. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it's true. It's quite an experience. And, it, and the payoff, much like the crossovers when they're done right, it uh, it introduces you to new characters, and when you you are introduced to a new character, it's a new writer, um, yeah, a new mythology. You know, if you, I remember, I didn't even realize it. It was my wife who pointed it out to me because I wasn't reading everything during Civil War, except for maybe like the Spider Man stuff leading up to what I know what was happening. But when um, they were at the table and Daredevil was at the table talking to them in the cafe. My wife yeah. pointed out to me, she's like, he uses his eyes. He's blind. 
And I didn't realize this was during the era where Danny Rand was masquerading as Daredevil. Yeah. And I thought that's so cool that you could get interested in this guy masquerading as Daredevil to know what the heck was happening with him. Like, what's that story about? And before you know it, you're reading Daredevil and Iron Fist because of this event. (laughs) Which is part of the fun. Yeah, which is part of the fun. That is part of the fun. And and that's that's how comics work to me as a kid. You know, I'd pick something up. They reference another title. You go, okay, I'll pick that other title up. Oh, that's good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> didn't think that would be good didn't think I'd like that and then that references something else so there's a crossover and you go like I'll buy that series damn that artwork is good <laughs> I'm going to keep getting that now as well and then you realise you have no money <laughs> yes and you are an addict <laughs> checking into yeah. uh, you know comic book anonymous <laughs> you're intravenously injecting comics oh imagine that before you know it yeah exactly well, we've gone another two hours plus talking. I don't know where the time goes, but it's a blast. And uh, I love just anywhere we go with it. It's always so much fun. Thank you so much for doing this again and staying no up problem. late on your end. It's fine. I, it's worth it. I'm, just, I'm so grateful that you asked me, asked me back on. It's, it's, it's really fun to do. Like I said before, it's, I don't get to actually literally talk about comics. The closest I get is type right um, right right so it's such a nice experience to be able to talk about it and and you know you know your stuff man it's, it's nice to just be able to just chat about it you know i i sometimes chat or text my friends that really know their stuff and then i say when i realize i don't know what i'm talking about i'm like i'm just a poser these guys must think i do <laughs> not know what the heck i'm talking about but thank you i appreciate that and i i have a listen if you want to come on the show every month let's do it it's it's a blast wow. talking to you, and if if people enjoy, I've had some people, and I think you were mentioning it to me too, that even though they don't know what exactly it is we're talking about, it's being spoken of in a way that is fun to listen to. Yeah, that's, Which, that's, yeah. A couple of friends of mine, I think some of them have actually read one comic or, or nothing. Um, shout out to my friends Johnny Five. Um, <laughs> uh, Irwin Languistine. No one has real names. Um, <laughs> yeah they, they just, it's great and it's, it's I think yeah, it, if you listen to people who genuinely have an affection for something it's, it's infectious I think and it's it'd be, I like the idea that you were saying before it starts to turn you onto certain comics because of what you were talking about and it's yeah I, I think there's truth in that so who knows someone might pick up Craven's Last Hunt or uh, Acts of Vengeance sorry in advance <laughs> Craven's <laughs> Last of, Hunt you can't go wrong you can't go wrong yeah, great, great pick. I like your list quite a bit. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. You can uh, rate and review us or not, but it always helps when you do on any of the uh, podcast platforms that you listen to us. Make sure to follow Dave Molyneux <laughs> on the Marvel <laughs> Comics Guide. Visit the website or the give him the, give him the title again of your, your review page on Instagram, which I love. It's now WM underscore comics underscore reviews or comic underscore reviews. God, I don't even know my own Instagram page. Isn't that terrible? I did this last time. That's it. (laughs) I'll learn it for next time. (laughs) Make sure you learn how to spell your name too. (laughs) No, I'm quite happy to fail. Uh, I'll change it. It'll be easier. (laughs) 
All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. We will be back soon. And once again, thank you for downloading the episode.